Well, um, thank you so much. Um, we've been uh, going through a series. Everybody kind of knows it's it's been uh, love without limit. And um, this morning, uh, I'm gonna obviously have some things different, of course, right? Unfortunately, I ha- feel like I can't preach unless I have something on the stage with me. Uh, but uh, I would say back in 2018, just a few years ago, uh, I, we, we do these events for the, uh, the teenagers, right? And it was summertime, um, and this summer in particular, I felt like uh, I had been here at the church for a little while, kind of established myself, and everybody was starting to trust me, and uh, I remember... Uh, they, they gave me the events, right? They're like, all right, Matt, take the youth events and do whatever you want with them, okay? Which is great, you know, that's a great idea. Um, there was this one event in particular, though, um, that they had done for years here called Messy Games. Have you guys ever heard of it? Some of the youth were involved in it. Um, it was called Messy Games, and it was really cute the way they did it. They kind of did it out here in the parking lot. They used, like, a little water, and they splish-splashed out there, and they had, you know, a slip-and-slide, and they had, like, a little water balloon war, and I thought that was pretty good, but I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, man, I could do that way better. Like, it's just, it's not messy enough. It's not living up to the name Messy Games. And so they're like, do whatever you want. And I'm like, okay, we're going to do whatever we want. So I actually mowed an area out where we, they had torn a bunch of houses down where we lived. And I mowed um, a property, like maybe close to an acre across the street from where I lived. And we started um, what I called extremely messy games, okay? I actually have some pictures. These are unseen pictures for you guys of the level that we kind of stepped it up. So this is kickball right here, and you had to slide into mustard and ketchup, tomato, that's tomato juice, right? Um, this kid, I don't know what happened to him. Um, but it was a good time. Every, there's octopus 500, okay? You guys ever heard of 500? I did octopus 500, um, where you threw it in the air, they caught the, uh, the frozen octopus. Um, these kids were having a good time. This is where they take orange juice and they spit it into the bucket. Um, everybody seems to be having a blast. I didn't give you too much of a visual, thankfully. There's Hunter. Um, Adam had something on the back of his head the whole time. You can see that. Okay, right here. Here, we can kind of slow it down. So this is the part I kind of want to highlight. Okay, so this, uh, I had never been given the opportunity to do a food fight with the youth group, but like I was going to do a food fight. I cooked spaghetti. Um, I cooked uh, the meat sauce and everything, but the part I didn't get to cook was the hamburgers. You can kind of see the little hamburgers right there. I didn't actually get to, to, to cook those, but I still threw them on there, okay? And then we prayed. You can see their eyes over. We prayed, and then they went for it, okay? And it went crazy. I mean, kids were crying. Let's, let's see Kira. I think she's in the next one. Kids were crying. Um, it didn't go super well. It was really hard to keep on track. It took like half an hour to clean them all up. Um, there's Gabe and Kira after she's cleaned up. We did tug of war, so you can see they're still smiling. I mean, nobody was like hating me after this. Half the kids were just wanting to lay in the mud the whole time. Um, that's pretty close to being it. Yeah, see, Isaac's just laying there. See, these guys had a good time. It took probably three hours to clean all that stuff up. I think I came back the next day and cleaned all the rest up. But that was it for messy games, right? So I I wanted to highlight that part with the table 
because, by the way, those have, nobody's ever seen this, so you guys feel privileged today because you all got to see. We were afraid to show them to the parents at the time <laughs> because it's like Matt might not be working at Grace Church if we tell everybody what happened at Messy Games, okay? Uh, so feel privileged. Um, I already told Kara's parents they happen to be here. I'm like, I'm going to send you guys the pictures. We got a ton more. Uh, and any of you guys in the front, you want pictures, I'll send them to you. Um, anyways, but the table there, uh, it got really, really messy. And I, I, only say, I only showed you those pictures just to point out that that table was messy. Now, when we think of communion, we think of uh, the Last Supper, we think of what happened in John 13, we think of this beautiful picture of Jesus telling us that he was going to die and, and he was going to leave and that he, he talked about, you know, this is my body which was given for you and this was the wine and all of these beautiful pictures, right? We use all of those. He washed the, the disciples' feet. Does everybody remember all of these things? And so we picture that, but we don't necessarily know how messy that table got. And so the next two weeks, I'm going to spend just a couple um, or I'm going to spend these next two weeks talking about what actually took place at this, this table and what Jesus was trying to show us, okay? So uh, if you have your Bibles, go to John 13. John 13, we're going to read verses 1 through 7. It's, it was almost time for the Jewish Passover festival, right? Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go back to the Father. Jesus had always loved the people in the world who were his, now was the time he showed them his love the most. Jesus and his followers were at the evening meal, and the devil had already persuaded Judas Iscariot to hand Jesus over to his enemies. Judas was the son of Simon, and the father had given Jesus power over everything. Jesus knew this. He also knew that he had come from God, and he knew that he was going back to God. So while they were eating, Jesus stood up and took off his robe, he got a towel and wrapped it around his waist. He poured water into a bowl and began to wash the followers' feet. He dried their feet with the towel that was wrapped around his waist, and he came to Simon Peter, but Peter said to him, Lord, you should not wash my feet. Jesus answered, you don't know what I'm doing now, but later you will understand. Okay, so he says, you don't know what I'm doing now, but later you will understand. Now, most of the time when we think of Jesus washing the feet, um, we do think of servanthood. Like, I, I've, I've preached it. I've heard of servanthood. I actually think if you wash people's feet and you in uh, honor and trying to show servanthood, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I'm not going to take that away from anyone, as is communion and, all, and baptism and all the things, right? All of those are good. But most of the time when Jesus was doing things, he was trying to show us a picture. He was trying to show us something. And here he actually tells Peter, he said, this thing I'm about to do, he said, you don't actually know what I'm doing, but you will. Um, you'll understand it later. So this table represents an illustration. It actually represented an illustration that Jesus was trying to show the disciples. And in that, in that illustration, there's actually six different activities that take place while he's washing their feet, while he's doing this. It says that he stood up, he took off his robe, he wrapped himself he poured water, and he washed their feet, and he dried them. Now, I'm going to try and explain this to you with these few points, but I'm just telling you, like, I've been studying it for a month, and I'm just like, I don't even know. I don't fully grasp, but I'm going to try and say it as best I can this morning, so if you guys can hang in there with me, okay? So it says that he stood up, right? He stood up from the heavenly banquet. 
He stood up from that position, from that place where he was sitting across from the Father and the Holy Spirit, and they were in perfect communion, dining with each other, right? Now, it wasn't like rock, paper, scissors, okay, Jesus, you go, right? It wasn't like that, but he did rise up from the Trinity, right? He took off his robe. Scripture said he took off his robe. Now, this represents that he laid aside his glory, right? He, re- he laid aside his, uh, his deity, his divinity. Scripture calls him the son of God and the son of man, right? He wrapped himself in a towel. He wrapped himself in humanity. Towel, that word towel, actually uh, speaks of uh, linen. It was a specific type of linen that they were using here, right? And it speaks of righteousness, So the towel with humanity, right, if you can picture this, so obviously he was 100% man, but he was 100% God at the same time. Like he, it said that he wrapped himself in humanity. He had to come from his place of um, godliness, of being the son of God, and also be 100% man. He was 100% flesh, but with righteousness, he had no sin, um, he came into the earth with linen, right? Scripture says that he was wrapped in linen, and then at his death, he was also wrapped in linen, okay? So he came into the earth and left the earth both uh, with being wrapped, and he was wrapped in righteousness. The fourth thing I see at this table that took place is he poured water into a bowl. He poured out his life. Now, Philippians 2 um, Scripture actually says that he emptied himself. It's the process by which um, kenosis, right? It's where divinity pours itself out. So in the beginning was the word, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. I don't know how to explain all of this, but I'm just telling you this is what the process that he was trying to show his disciples. He washed the disciples' feet. They were already disciples, right? They were already his followers. Salvation had already come to their house, but this speaks of sanctification. He washed their feet. He washed who they were, right? He washed them. He sanctified them. Notice he wasn't, he wasn't, um, Notice they didn't wash themselves, right? Because I think that's the process. That's, that's part of what we get, begin to see here is that Peter is resistant towards his rabbi, towards his teacher washing their feet. That didn't show a sign of uh, Jesus being an authority. It showed servanthood. And so Peter was afraid of that, but he was trying to show, him, show them the process by which he actually sanct- was going to sanctify them. Um, Uh, The sixth thing I see is he dried them with a towel. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the very righteousness of God. So the same righteousness, the same right standing with God that he, you know, had himself covered with, he also dried them with. He shared his righteousness with us. He gave us his righteousness, the same righteousness that he walked with here on the earth. And I love that he didn't just leave them in the state that they were. He dried them, which shows completeness. Okay, look at Peter's response. I love Peter's response. He said, Peter said, no, right? Could you imagine telling Jesus, no? He says, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered and said, if I don't wash your feet, you are not one of my people. Simon Peter said, Lord, after you wash my feet, wash my hands and wash my head too. He's like, okay, just go ahead and get the whole thing done. Obviously, I had something wrong here and I don't know what's happening. So Peter represents the law. Peter, we all know Peter, uh, the name Peter actually means Petros, which 
Um, we, we know of it as rock, right? Like we hear, hear Jesus talking about, but it actually means stone. The Greek transliteration and the Aramaic uh, says, uh, it's, it says kephas, which means, all, it also means stone. So the law was written on stones. Peter represents man's way of trying to earn God's love. Peter was never confident in God's love. He was never sure of his place with God, and he was always trying to earn God's love. And what I will tell you is whenever we're trying to earn God's love, whenever we're trying to earn his favor or him liking us more, it actually creates more insecurities. I'll show you John 13, 21 through 24. It says, after Jesus said these things, he felt very troubled. He said openly, believe me when I say that one of you will hand me over to my enemies. His followers all looked at each other, and they did not understand who Jesus was talking about. One of the followers was next to Jesus, was leaning in close to him. This was the one that Jesus loved very much. We'll come back to that. But verse 24, it says, Simon Peter made signs to his followers to ask Jesus who he was talking about. So when Jesus was talking about being betrayed, Peter was nervous it was him. And here's what I'll say is, even in all of our striving, right? Even, I remember striving to try and get God to be pleased with me. I was trying to, trying to get God to love me more. Like I was praying as much as I could. I was reading my Bible as much as I could. I was at church seven days a week, and man, I was proud about being at church seven days a week, right? I was like, man, I'm, I'm so excited about how much God is probably showing me favor. Um, you know, I remember saying things like, man, I hope that one day when I die that he'll say the same things he said about Jesus where he said, good and faithful servant, well done, good and faithful servant, Right? And I'd hope that, but it's so interesting that it created an insecurity about whether God loved me, about whether he was okay with me. And that's what I will tell you is Peter was in that same position. He was in that place of, man, I'm doing a lot of things, but it was creating insecurities about where he was with God. Now his alter ego, I don't know if that's the right word, but his alter ego, uh, John, right, the disciple John, he represents grace. John actually means Yohanan, which means Yahweh is gracious, or God is gracious. John 13, 23, it says the disciple Jesus was sitting next to Jesus, or the disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the ta table. Now John, we all know this, but John wrote the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now he wrote that not just there, but he actually wrote it in three other places. And my question is, why would he do that? Like, why would John write that about himself. It's not like he was a ghostwriter. It's not like it was the book of Hebrews and we weren't going to be sure who it was, but John wrote that about himself. And it kind of reminded me of my oldest um, daughter. I remember when she was growing up, we would always say things like, uh, her name's Zoe, and, and she'd be coloring, and we'd say, Zoe, we're so proud of you. Like, good job. We're so proud of you. Like, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful little picture. And I mean, it was just literally, uh, I think two nights ago, same thing. She brings a picture into us. She's 10, and she's still showing us pictures. And but I remember when she was little, she was coloring this picture, and she said, you know, she's like, Daddy, Daddy, look, look at this picture. And I looked at it, and I was like, great job, Zoe. And she's coloring, and she stops. And she said, say you're so proud of me, right? And I was like, we're so proud of you, right? And I thought about that. I was like, this is, that is similar to John. Like, John just needed to hear it. I think he just was reminding himself that I was the disciple whom Jesus loved. I was the disciple who Jesus was proud of, right? Um, 
One translation says that, that he was resting on his head on the chest of Jesus, which is closest to his heart. Now, I'm sure that the other disciples were not necessarily thrilled about this, but John paints a great picture as if they were. Um, and here's the truth of the matter is there's always two sides to every story. Wouldn't you guys agree? There's two sides to every story. And the good news is there's actually four gospels recorded. And one of the other disciples that wrote about this instance uh, was Luke. Now, Luke was really good at details, right? He was a doctor. Uh, he might have been one of the oldest. Luke wrote the book of Luke, also wrote the book of Acts, um, and maybe some, people, some scholars believe that he maybe wrote um, the book of Hebrews. And Luke didn't leave out details. In fact, just between the book of Luke and the book of Acts, it's actually a quarter of the New Testament. And I'm so thankful that he didn't leave out these details. Let's take a look at what he wrote about the exact same instance but John, that John left out. John 22, it says 22 through 24, it says, The Son of Man will do what God has planned, but it will be very bad for the one who hands over the Son of Man to be killed. Then the apostle asked each other, which one of us would do that? Verse 24, it says, Later the apostles began to argue about which one of them was the most important. Now other translations say dispute. Another translation says brawl. And isn't it convenient that John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, forgot to mention that he was fighting with the other disciples about who was the best disciple, who was the greatest, right? He seemed to have left that. And it says that there was a brawl. So you can imagine, here Jesus is, he's trying to explain these things, and this whole table is a disaster, right? It's, a, it's all upside down. So I would say simple math, simple math, Peter plus the disciple whom Jesus loved, plus Luke tattletailing equals a lot of personality at this table, okay? Yet Jesus is the epitome of love. Love is patient, it's kind, it's not boastful or proud. And Jesus was not trying to give his disciples a lesson about love just by washing their feet and serving them and showing them, but he was literally displaying love to them as they're sitting there and he's talking with them. So uh, if we go to John 13, it says, Jesus said, my children, I will be with you only a short time more and you will look for me. But I tell you now that what I told you, the Jewish leaders, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new command, love each other. You must love each other just as much as I have loved you. All the people will know that you are my followers if you have love for one another. Simon Peter asked Jesus, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? He says, I am ready to die for you. Jesus answered, will you really give your life for me? The truth is, before the rooster crows, you will say three times that you don't know me. Now, here's the truth of the matter. Peter was never really tracking with the room. He was never reading the room properly. Have you guys ever had friends or family members where they're not reading the room properly? And I feel like Peter was that guy. I remember this, um, this couple that used to come over to our house. Um, this girl, she would always just talk a lot, okay? Which it's fine to talk a lot, but I mean, she would talk until she felt as though that we liked her. And this is years ago, and I remember looking at her when she would first start, and I would look at her, and she'd be about 10 minutes in, and, you know, usually about 10 minutes in, my ears, I don't know, I just, it's like water falling onto something that's already wet. I just don't hear what you're saying anymore. I don't have any capacity left, okay? 
And I looked at her and I was like, we like you. We really like you. Like, you don't have to do this, this thing that you're doing. I promise you we like you. That's why you're here with us, hanging out, right? And Peter was that guy. He just wasn't reading the room ever. He was always going way overboard. And he, this is the same thing. He said, Peter, where are you going? It says, I, he said, I would die for you. And Jesus says, will you really? And the message translation just says, really? Really? Right? Only a few short hours later, this moment of Jesus being arrested is recorded. It's in Matthew 22 through 54. It says, so they arrested him and led him to the high priest's home, and Peter followed at a distance. Verse 55, it says, the guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there, and a servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this was the man or this was the one of Jesus' followers, but Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. Verse 58, it says, after a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be, the one, you must be one of them. No man, no man, I'm not. Peter restored. About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And at that moment, the Lord turned and looked and Peter and turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even knew me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. The third time Peter denied Jesus, it said Jesus looked at him. Right? Now Peter might have felt in that moment, he might have felt crushed. Right? He might have felt as though he had done the worst thing that he had ever done in his life. Because just a few hours before that, if you remember, he said, man, I would die for you, Jesus. And if you think about it, you can see how it would be crushing because Peter was there for all those miracles. I mean, the first conversation that he ever had with Jesus, it was when they caught the, the big load of fish and they brought him in. I think it was 153 fish, right? That was the first miracle that he ever, that he ever experienced. And Peter fell to his knees and said, depart from me, I'm a sinner. And Jesus continued to encourage him to follow him. And there he, after that, then he saw uh, the young girl that was risen from the dead. He saw Lazarus risen from the dead. He saw miracle after miracle. He saw uh, the demon-possessed man. Um, he saw the miracle with that. He saw the, the feeding of the 5,000 multiple times, right? He was even, Peter was the one who even walked on the water with Jesus, so he saw all these miracles, and yet this one time Jesus predicts, he says, you're going to deny me not just once, but three times. And the worst part of it all was Jesus looked at him when it happened. It says, at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. But my question is, what did he look at Peter like? Like, how do you think he looked at Peter? And what I can encourage you and what I can tell you today is it wasn't an accusatory glare. It wasn't a frown, and it wasn't even a, I got him, right? Luke 22, verses 31 through 32 in the Matthew Bible says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired you all to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. And when you have turned back again, strengthen your brother. Jesus knew Peter was going to fail. So why would he look at him with disappointment? Right? Like if he knew already that Peter was going to mess up, that Peter was going to deny him, why would he look at him with disgust? Um, 
Think about when Jesus rose from the dead, right? Mark 16, 7. Uh, do you remember when the angel said, run and tell his disciples, even Peter, that he is risen? I love that part because it's specific to Peter, right? The angel said, tell the disciples and also tell Peter. When Jesus rose from the dead, he was very specific. Um, and I love that it said, run and go tell, right? He could have said any word, he, but, he said, but the angel said, run. We were, we were singing this morning about his goodness running after us. Um, you guys have all probably heard the story of uh, the, the lost son, right? I know the message calls it the good father. Um, but it's a story where um, the son um, goes and asks for all of his inheritance. And then scripture says that he took all of his inheritance and he went out and he spent it on wild, lucrative living. He, he had a blast while he was out there and he lost everything. And it had gotten to the point where he was eating from the sloth, right? Like he was eating, he had gotten to the bottom of the barrel and he was thinking, man, even my father's servants are eating better than this, are living better than this. And so he's like, if I could go back, I'll just go ask my father, can I work for you? And maybe he'd hire me as a hired hand. And scripture says that as he was going back, that the father was looking from afar and saw him from afar. And here's what I can tell you is no matter whether we've been, we felt like we've walked away from God, whether we felt like we've made some mistakes, whether we felt like, man, I didn't come up short. Here's what I can tell you is God's eyes are on us. And scripture says that not only did he, was he looking, but it says that the father got up and ran to the son. And I think of running, I think of out of control, I think of like, you know, no limit, doesn't have any limit, and there's no limit where the father would run after us and how fast he would run after us, amen? You can have the person um, come up. It says, can I... Um, can I tell you, if you've ever been mad at God, if you've ever walked away from God, if you've ever denied God or cursed God, good news, God doesn't react in the same way as man does. God runs after us. And see, this table wasn't a just let's, hey, let's just grab some grub. It wasn't a like, it's time to eat. I think we need to. No, this was a specific table. And if you read other areas, um, Jesus had this whole dinner all lined up. It was all lined up. In fact, he told the disciples, he said, hey, go to this specific town. And he said, there's going to be a man that has um, some water that he's carrying on his shoulder. And he said, that man's going to take you back. And, and that's where we're going to have dinner. We're going to feast. We're going to um, have that Passover meal. And it, it was really just his final illustration, right, where he was going to show us to what extent he was going to go for us. It was where he was going to stand up from his place of authority. It was where he was going to take off his robe. It was where he was going to wrap himself in humanity. It was where he was going to pour himself out for us. It was where he was going to wash us clean as white as snow. And it was where he was going to dry us and complete us. Peter should have never denied Jesus. We can all admit that. But later, Peter got it. I love what 1 Peter 4.8 says. It says, above all constantly echo God's intense love for one another, for love will be a canopy over, multitude, over a multitude of sins. God's intense love for one another, for love will be a canopy over a multitude of sins. He had realized that God was not holding anything against him. 
that he was now an echo chamber of God's love. We may forsake God, but God responds with, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I love what Paul Ellis said. He said, the wonder of the cross reveals God's unconditional love for us. God did not wait for us to repent or get cleaned up before he loved us. While we were in filth of our sin and self-righteousness, he came and hugged us. God will never make you jump through hoops to earn his love. He won't love you anymore if you succeed, and he won't love you any less if you fail. If you lead millions to Christ or none at all, he will love you just the same. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make him love you less. His love endures forever. I just want to encourage you today, man. It doesn't matter where you are with God. It doesn't matter what you've done. I just want to encourage us today. God loves us. We could be just like John where we're right there, man. We've been faithful. We have been faithful to him. It doesn't matter that or it doesn't matter if we're Peter where we denied him at any point in our lives. Man, he's faithful to us. Amen? Would you guys stand with me? I want to pray over you today. Father, we just thank you, God, for your goodness your hands. We thank you, God, for your love. We thank you, God, for sending your son. And scripture says that there's nothing that can separate us from your love, God. And we trust you today. Thank you for speaking to us. We give you all the praise and all the glory today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen.